0: Bibles if you would to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 I try I I I uh, my prayer and hope this morning is that your your hope is in God alone You I'm about to say something and I hope you take it right because you will not find a more patriotic person than myself. I I love my country. But my trust is not in my government. My trust is in Jesus Christ. I love my country. I love my country very much. I serve my country. But my hope and my trust is in God alone. And I hope yours is this morning as well. That's why we're here. <clears throat> Last week, we started a study on the book of 2 Thessalonians, and um, I, 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 I actually uh, went to the Internet, and I got a picture of the uh, modern day, what... what Thessalonica looks like today. <clears throat> I mean, it's a city you can go to. Uh, the population currently, from the best I could figure, is between 300 to 350,000. Uh, where in Paul's day was about 200,000. So r- really, you know, from my way of thinking, it really hadn't changed a whole lot. Uh, it's just become obviously more modernized. It's got you know freeways and so, so on and so forth. But uh, it is a, uh, a very important uh, city in the Greek, in the country of Greece. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the reality is um, today you can travel to many of the cities that Paul talks about in the Bible. Um, there are uh, there uh, <clears throat> there are tours of Israel that you can take. Uh, but then there are also Pauline tours that you can, that you can take. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I would love to be able to visit some of these cities and see some of the things that Paul seen, uh, had, had, got, had, whew, had to go through uh, and the places and so on and so forth. But anyway, so this is modern day Thessalonica. Uh, <clears throat> the Thessalonian church was a young church. Um, you know they, you know, we're, we're 12 years old here at Grace Baptist Church. I would venture to say uh, that the Thessalonian uh, uh, church uh, uh, was younger than we are now. And when when Paul wrote the uh, the the two books of First and Second Thessalonians, the unfortunate part of the church of Thessalonica was that persecution had become normal life for them. Uh, Just on the the flip side, we today uh, really don't know what persecution is. Do we? We we really don't. Uh, There are countries in our world today where believers know what persecution is, but Americans, for the most part, uh, really don't understand it. And they were under severe oppression and and persecution, and it, it to the point where it had become normal to them. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that somebody had forged a letter uh, and sent it and given it to the believers at Thessalonica and put Paul's name to it, uh, and it was and it was full of false doctrine. So here, this church was dealing with uh, severe persecution, and they were dealing with. Uh, 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 false doctrine that was coming into the church and the the church was struggling and they needed encouragement. And that's why Paul wrote the second book of uh, Thessalonians. And I want to give you some statistics. So just bear with me because it all has a reason. Okay. Uh, And I've given these first few I've shared with you before, but I just want to remind you something. According to the Barna Group, which is one one of these companies that does the surveys, it's it's one of the more uh, reputable organizations or companies. Uh, But the Barna Group says that 1,500 clergy leave pastoral ministry each month. Let that sink in for a minute. 1,500 pastors leave the pastorate Everybody now that, that is that is every religion under the sun, okay? Fifteen hundred a month. Ninety percent now this this statistic is from the US Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Ninety percent of clergy in all denominations will not stay in the ministry long enough to reach the age of retirement. 50% of pastors indicated in the the Hartford Institute of Religious Research 50% of pastors indicated that they would leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living Now I have a question for you and I, and I'm not done with statistics okay uh, no those of you that know me No, my brain works on statistics. I love statistics. It just helps me put things in perspective. But why are these numbers so hard? Excuse me, so high? They're tired. Here's another one. Over 3,500 people a, a week quit going to church. Think about that. Now, I personally believe, now I don't know, I couldn't find a statistic with uh, COVID in mind, but I think over the last two years, that number has probably quadrupled. Again, why? I have a pastor friend who tried to answer the question why. Why people were leaving the church so easily. In his church, <clears throat> over the span of a year, they had over 350 visitors over the period of a year. And at the end of that year, the congregation population had not really changed. So it troubled him. And he went back through and he got all the all the visitors cards that people had filled out and he and he and he, and he, and he went back and he and he interviewed as many of those people as he could to ask why. And overwhelmingly the answer was not doctrinal it wasn't people did not come back because he was preaching heresy or they disagreed with him doctrinally the main reason well the the the, there were two there were two main reasons and they really kind of kind of go together The reason why they did not come back. They did not feel needed. And worse than that, they did not feel wanted. Think about that. I hope and pray that that never happens at Grace Baptist Church. I don't care who they are. Anybody who comes through this door should be felt made to feel welcome Amen. and wanted. Christians today and pastors <clears throat> need encouragement. That's why I read these statistics to you because. Oftentimes, people have the misconceptions that pastors are immune to encouragement. That we don't need it. We we live in the Bible apps. You know, you know. Actually, I mean, I get paid to read the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? You pay me to read the Bible, and I and and, and in turn, I'm a, I'm constantly ragging on you about reading your Bible, and you pay me to do it. Would you read it if I paid you? Well, I'm not going to. <laughs> you don't pay me enough to do that, okay? <clears throat> but we all need encouragement. not there's not one person on the face of this earth that does not need encouragement and and, and oftentimes we get in our heads and and I've heard pastors say this and and God help us. I've heard pastors say, if you are born again Christian, you have no business being discouraged. I've heard pastors say that. Exactly, tell Paul that. Tell Moses that. Tell Elijah that. And I could go on and on and on. People need encouragement. Period. Why why do you think we're gonna have the Fourth the of July hot dog cookout at, at our house? <clears throat> because because I like hot dogs? No, not that much. I like hot dogs, but not that much. Now Bob Bob does, okay? <clears throat> no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you found them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, the the reality is, we need fellowship. We need encouragement. Yeah. And periodically, we just need to stop from our busy lives, and we need to do that. That's why that's why we're doing this, and and to celebrate the birth of our country, Independence Day. So, last week we talked about finding true encouragement, and, and, and point number one was in their surroundings. Let's read verses 1 through 4 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silas and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonica, in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because your faith groweth exceeding and your charity of each, uh, excuse me, of every one of you altogether, each other abundantly, for that we ourselves glory in you in the church of God, for your presence and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I am truly grateful that I have a a God that is concerned about (coughs) encouraging me in difficult times. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm about to say something again that quite possibly you may say that makes no sense. In fact, it goes against human logic. Did you get what I just said? Human logic, okay, and that's this. The suffering of the Thessalonian church was evidence that God was doing a great work. That doesn't make sense to us. God was doing a great work in their lives and in the lives of those around them. Let's look at verse 5. Which is the man? Which is the uh, manifold token of righteous, righteous judgment of God? The manifold token is an interesting phrase. It is a, it is an awesome phrase, really. If you think about it, it literally means the evidence or the proof that God was doing something great in this, in this little church, in a in a, in a uh, coastal city in what is now Greece the manifold (coughs) token or the proof. It is the proof. What you are going through, Paul is saying here, in in other words, he's saying, what you're going through is proof that God is at work in your lives. And oftentimes people will come to me and they will say, Pastor, why am I having to go through this? You know, I, I, I I don't know the answer to that. But I can tell you this, it's proof that God loves you. And that goes against human logic. That doesn't make sense to us. But it's true. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 29, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the, of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound. Confound the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh can glory in His in His presence. What what is what is Paul telling us in First Corinthians uh, chapter one here? <clears throat> If we can explain it, God's not in it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing, He just created it. Now I'm gonna say something here and I and I, I, I hope you understand I'm against evolution. Because evolution requires something to have done something. That's evolution. God didn't need anything. He just spoke it into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, our tendency is that when suffering or hard times or trials come into our lives, we tend to look at God as a God that is a God that doesn't care. Or I, I, I am asked periodically, why is God punishing me? How many of you have ever thought that? Don't, don't raise your hand. But uh, honestly, how many of you have ever thought that? I have. Why is God punishing me? When in reality, it is a, according to verse five, it is a manifest token. It is proof of God's love in your life. I want to share an important truth with you, and I've got a I've got a few of these in this message tonight, uh, today. So just bear with me on this. Is, <clears throat> the way we act in the midst of struggles demonstrates to others our relationship with god it confirms a close walk or a cold walk if when 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 persecutions when troubles when storms happen and we freak out and lose it and 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 can't control our emotions, then we have a cold walk. But when we can find peace, and we're going to talk about this, when we can find peace in the midst of trouble, then we have a close walk with our Savior. So let me ask you, what kind of walk do you have this morning? Point number one, we talked about last week, is they found encouragement in their surroundings. Point number two this morning finding true encouragement in God's assurances. In God's assurances. Let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, or chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 5. Which in manifold. Uh, which is a manifold uh, token of righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled rest with us when the the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his almighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that they obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified uh, in his saints and be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Paul identifies three things that can bring us encouragement in the midst of difficult times. Three things. The first one I want to talk about is reward. Reward. Look at verse 5 again. Which is a manifold token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Now understand, please understand this. This is, this is important, you get this. This does not mean that their suffering earned them a place in heaven. That, that, that is not what this is talking about that, that that their suffering did not earn them a place in heaven and neither did their suffering elevate their standing with God. We are all saved by faith through grace or, or did I get that backwards? By grace through faith, yes. Okay, I got it backwards. Anyway, you got you know what I mean. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter two, verses eight nine. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if 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 our suffering elevated our standing with God, then when we got to heaven, we would be able to say, Hey, look what I did! But see, it's our suffering here on earth that should elevate Christ, not ourselves. The key word in verse 5 is the word also. It, it, it simply means the present and the future. Because the reality is this. <clears throat> if you're not in the midst of struggle right now, you're going to be. <clears throat> it's just part of life. We see this idea in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now uh, uh, for a season, uh, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, bringing being more, much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What is again? What is, what is Peter telling us here? that our our trials of our faith are much more precious than gold. Why? Because you, as we live through these things and we manifest Christ in our lives, those around us can only see Christ if we live right. You can't pay for that. that. You can't put a monetary value on the influence that you can have in the lives of others. J.M. Mason wrote this They that deny themselves for Christ shall enjoy themselves in Christ. Letter A God's assurance in rewards. Letter B Compensation. Now, we all like compensation, do we not? If we do something for someone, we we should get compensated for it. God God has made compensation. He's made allowance for a compensation. Look at verse 6. And seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense, or the word recompense literally means to pay back or to have compensation, to God recompense uh, tribulation to them that trouble you. There'll be there'll be compensation. There have been times when we look around us and we see wickedness in our world today is that not true i mean we we see we see wickedness in our i mean if you if you don't turn on the news okay we see wickedness all around us and we and i don't know if you and i'll be honest with you this is something that i struggle with periodically how can the wicked prosper You know, if I were God, I would just, pfft, <laughs> just I mean just saying that's and that's why I'm not God. Okay? <clears throat> you know, <laughs> it's called God's mercy. But 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 I, okay, God, I understand that you don't kill them, but why are they prospering? I struggle with that. It's interesting that even David in the Old Testament struggled with this very thing. He wrote in Psalm chapter 73, verses 1 through 3, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. David almost lost it. My steps had well nigh slipped for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the the prosperity of the wicked. David is saying, look, I, I, I almost lost my faith in God because I saw the wicked prospering and I saw God's people having a hard time and and sometimes we have trouble working that out in our heads but paul is telling us here in second thessalonians chapter 6 their their time is coming their time is coming david poured out his heart and i love the answer i i love i love Where Paul or or, or, where David found the answer later in Psalm chapter 73 in verses sixteen and eighteen it says this and when I thought to know this it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou did didst send them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. What, what, what is David saying here? David, David is saying, look, honestly, I, I almost lost my faith when I tried to rationalize it. But it wasn't until I got alone with God. And God said, just trust me. I'm in control. I got this, David. David found comfort in knowing that God would care, excuse me, that God would take care of his enemies. Paul is doing the same thing for the Thessalonians. He's saying, Look, I understand you're under persecution and you've been under persecution, but understand recompense, compensation. They're going to, the people that have been persecuting you one day will be persecuted. Even Jesus addressed this important subject and the sermon on the mount matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to, 10 to 12 said blessed are they <clears throat> which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad For great is your reward in heaven, for so so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. As Christians, we must learn to live for today. We must learn to live for eternity. We must learn to live for eternity. And when we can get that perspective in our heads, life is a little more easier to deal with. Now, again, I have another important truth I want to share with you, and please get this. This is important truth number two. There is a huge difference between the word vengeance and revenge. Please do not mistake vengeance for revenge because vengeance is satisfies God's law. Revenge pacifies personal grudges. Two completely different things. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, when we take it into our own hands to to deal with, it crosses from vengeance to revenge. And I'm here to tell you, you don't want to live there. That's a that's a rabbit hole you do not want to go down. <clears throat> Number three, reward compensation, and probably the most precious of all, rest. Look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, <clears throat> the word rest here means to find relief or relaxation. Relaxation. Um, it is the exact opposite if you would of persecution <clears throat> rest the, the word rest here describes a, uh, a, a and an, an immediate release if you would it was like you're tense one minute and now you're not okay that, let me let me illustrate it this way. <clears throat> um, well, let, let, let me let me back up. With, with a recurve bow, y'all know what a recurve bow is. It is it, it for just for illustrations, it would be what an Indian would have used in the 1800s. Just a just a piece of uh, wood with a string, and and you pull. That's called a recurve bow. Okay. <clears throat> When a when the string is on a recurve bow, it is under constant tension. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Um, when when I was in Papua New Guinea, back when uh, the kids were little, uh, <clears throat> I I was able to purchase a uh, a a bow and arrow set from. Uh, when I was back in the jungle, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the tribe. Anyway, I can't, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, but th- this, this, this recurve bow, I, I, I don't know if I still have it or not, but anyway, um, it was seven feet tall. And, and you got to understand that the, the New Guinea people are, are, are small people. So, I mean, it was probably almost twice the height of the average person. Yeah, they probably probably did, but <clears throat> the tension on that thing was, was, was massive. And I made the mistake of bringing it home and leaving the bow or the string on the bow. Uh, what do you think happened after about two years? Yeah, one day it just snapped. And that's what ha- that's what can happen when we are under pressure. Is that, is that is that not a good picture? Okay. And what Paul is saying here is the word rest here is that immediate release. And and and, and I, again, I'm not a I'm not a hunter uh, with a bow and arrow, but basically it's when you you pull down on the bow and you take the string off and you and and it's that instant release. That's the kind of rest that we can have in Jesus Christ. We can have instant rest in Jesus Christ. now in 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 the uh, context here, Paul is making reference to the rapture of the church. when God will come and instantly rapture us out, and that it's that instant rest, you know no more troubles. that's that's what he's talking about here. <clears throat> but I believe, and, I, and, I, and, and we're going to talk about it here, and I can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can have rest in the midst of trials, that the world cannot understand, that we cannot explain, but we can have, midst, uh, tri- uh, we can have rest in the midst of trials. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The tribulation does not go away, but you can have rest. He doesn't say, I will take away all your problems. He does say, you will find rest in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. C.S. Lewis wrote this, life with God is not uh, uh, immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. God never says that we will live a, a, a happy and glorious life after we get saved. He doesn't say that. If anything, the principles are just the opposite. He says, get ready, it's coming. But you can have peace in the midst of trials. This world that we live in, we will continue to have wars. We will continue to have personal conflicts. It's just, it's part of life. But God will give us rest when we trust in Him. Jesus uses two encounters at sea. To help his disciples um, understand peace in the midst of the storm, if you would. Uh, in Matthew chapter eight, verses 23 and following, it says, "And when he uh, was entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the sea was covered. Uh, excuse me, that the ship was covered with the waves." But he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? When he arose, he rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. What was, what was, okay, question. Before Jesus got onto the ship, did he know the storm was coming? Absolutely he knew. But what was he trying to do? He was trying to get the disciples to see that that their their that their safety is in him, not in the ship. And I personally believe this is just my own conviction that had the disciples understood that principle they all would have been asleep. Rest in the midst of trials. The second encounter is in Matthew chapter 14 verses 23 and following. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray, and when he, uh, <clears throat> the evening was come, he was there alone, but the ship uh, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, there, uh, excuse me, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if uh, it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Underline the fact that that phrase there, he walked on the water. Okay. Peter walked on the water, okay? He didn't step off the ship and sink. He walked on the water. To go to Jesus, but... I love the buts of the Bible. Well... But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink and cried saying, Lord, save me. Question, when did Peter start to sink? When he took his eyes off of Jesus and his fear came into his heart and when do we as believers start to sink? When we, uh, we take our eyes off of him. We can have peace in the midst of the storms. All we need to do is keep our eyes on him. Earlier, we talked about David's struggle with the wicked of this world prospering. And I get that. I totally get that. But where did he find peace? He found peace. Psalm chapter 73, verse 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood his end. Now, literally, the sanctuary here, I looked it up just to make sure but it's talking about the temple, okay? When when he went to the temple to worship God. Now, we we are the temple, okay? So what is the truth here? See, David struggled. David struggled greatly until he got alone with God. And there are times in our lives where getting alone with God is the only thing that's going to bring peace in your life. How do I know that? That's where I live. I love getting alone with God. There's nothing in the world like it. When the busyness of life is swirling around me, I will. My wife will. It, it, she I think she. She she allows me to do this, but I think she she gets angry at me sometimes because I just get in my truck and go. I just go out in the desert. Why? Because there are times I just need to get alone with God. Why? Because I need peace in my life. I need rest in my life. I need God to encourage me at times. So do you. Find your spot in the desert. It doesn't have to be in the desert. It could be, it could be at the kitchen table. It could be anywhere. Just find your spot and run to it when you need encouragement. Earlier I asked you a very important question. How is your walk with God? Is it cold or is it close? The way we act in the midst of struggles demonstrates to others our relationship with God. And we will either walk closely to God or our relationship will be cold and everybody will know it. How's your walk look today? Finding encouragement in the midst of surroundings, in God's assurances. Never forget we can have peace and rest in the midst of trials. Let's pray.